Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sarah Peck, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. Think of a difficult conversation that you are in the middle of or one that you've recently had. Maybe it's onboarding a new team member or working with a client. Maybe it's with your partner or your spouse trying to negotiate all those logistics of parenting. Or maybe it's with your parents, your kids, your boss, whoever it is. I am sure that you have had the experience of how challenging it can be to go through a hard conversation. For me, I avoid them. I panic. I worry. I stress. I get really sweaty. I get nervous. I stammer. I try to keep the peace. There are so many strategies I have to try to avoid having hard conversations or try to avoid ruffling any feathers, and those strategies don't necessarily serve me. The stakes get high, people get frustrated, and sometimes when you do end up having them, you both lose sight of what it was that you wanted in the first place. Or you win, but you don't really feel like you won because what is winning? Today on the podcast, we get to have Sharon Stolt join us to teach us what to do and how to start the art of having challenging and uncomfortable conversations. Sharon Stolt is a global learning and development leader, a dynamic facilitator, and an instructional designer specializing in leadership and manager development. She has taught and designed innovative training programs for Fortune 500 companies and small startups, and she helps thousands of people communicate better and lead more effectively. Sharon is particularly obsessed with helping ambitious, purpose-driven women take a strategic approach to their careers and develop their authentic voice at work. And on the weekends, you can find her and her dog chasing their three-year-old son and their big friendly dog all over their hometown of Boulder, Colorado. Also, you might have heard her before on the podcast. If you recognize her voice, it's because you probably listened to the Wise Women's Council roundtable that we had earlier this year. She was one of the guests who talked about having and taking an entrepreneurial approach to your career. Well, today we're back with Sharon to dive into the deep side of having challenging but productive conversations. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. One of the things that we have to think about today as parents that past generations didn't have to think about as much is data and privacy. How do all of these newfangled technologies work? And more importantly, how do they keep our data safe? As a new mom, privacy is one of my top priorities, especially when it comes to my kids. That's why we are so in love with the sponsor of today's episode, Nanit. Nanit makes the only video monitor that I trust to keep my data and my baby's data safe. It comes equipped with two-factor authentication, all of our data is covered by 256-bit encryption, and it keeps our data private from the outside world. So we get the baby monitor and the sleep help that we need But all of the personalized data that we get is kept safe just for us. Nanit even allows you to create multiple user profiles, which is called the parenting team. So you can safely and securely share your baby's most precious moments with the ones who matter, but also the only ones that you choose. Go to nanit.com today. You can check out their Nanit Plus Smart Baby Monitor. And startup pregnant listeners, you can use the code startup at nanit.com and save 10% off of your order.
Everyone, I'm so, so excited to have Sharon Stolt here joining me today to have a conversation about difficult conversations. Sharon, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I'm so glad that you are here. I know that we have known each other for a while now. And when this topic came up about talking about the hard things, talking about difficult conversations (laughs) and challenging conversations, you seemed like the perfect person to have on the show and to talk to about this. Can you tell me, how did you even start down this inquiry? How did you even start learning about challenging and difficult conversations? What was it for you that piqued your interest and got you started down this path? Well, I think that the straightforward answer is that when I was working for a national child care company, the powers that be decided it would be good for us to bring training on board to all of our child care centers nationwide and teach our child care center directors how to have these difficult conversations. And the topic they chose, the approach they chose is a program based on a book, a National New York Times bestselling book, Crucial Conversations. And that was my first introduction to Crucial Conversations, and I quickly became a certified trainer for Crucial Conversations for the topic and immediately dove into a massive project teaching all of our child care center directors across the country on this topic. It was a two-day course. And it was tough at the beginning, but I was really drawn to how approachable the content is and how it really helped form for me some answers to questions I had had about how do you speak persuasively without speaking abrasively? And I have a lot of examples of how I had been doing the opposite for so long because I just didn't understand some of the key strategies and some of the key mindset approaches that were really necessary in order to have a good, difficult conversation, conversations with excellent outcomes, even though you were nervous going into them, maybe. Whoa. Okay. So there's like a million things that I want to unpack here. And I actually am really fascinated. What was it about the childcare center? What was happening that you needed these conversations? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think I do. It has been a while, but I will say that's the most important question to ask whenever you're rolling out a training program. So I love that you're thinking that way. So few people think that way. What are you trying to accomplish here? Hmm. I can't say I remember exactly for sure if there was something, an incident or a series of incidents that really prompted our leaders to be thinking about it. But I can say I was so lucky to be working for that organization during that time because what we had in place was leadership who understood the importance of elevating the profession in general. Generally speaking, a lot of folks come into working in the childcare profession, being early childhood professionals and early childhood educators, without an extensive background in formal education or formal study. And that's not exclusively 100% true, but it's not a very financially rewarding profession to join. So you join often for passion, for interest, for the love of it. And what we found, generally speaking, within the organization is there was benefits to elevating the way all of our professionals had difficult conversations, managed change, and understood how to be effective salespeople. So we were rolling out crucial conversations during my period there, but we were also rolling out a relationship selling course, which was the first time I had ever done sales training. I'm so glad that was the approach that we took. It was so perfect for the groups that we were working with. And we were also 
during the later part of my tenure at the organization, I was there for about 13 years, and I was helping roll out a change management program. So I think generally speaking, it was probably less about any one specific reason and more about the simple reality that truly, if you want to be an effective leader, if you want to be an effective manager, and if you want to be effective in any aspect of your life, mastering the ability to step up and have the difficult conversations is your killer app. It's the singular thing that's going to elevate you. And I think our leaders knew that. And I think I'm really proud, actually, that they took the chance on this program and they said, we are going to roll this out top to bottom. What that does for any organization is it creates a common language. Mm-hmm. You can all speak about it at the same time and you can challenge each other. If we were to use the parlance of crucial conversations, for example, you can say, is that a fact? Or is that a story you're telling? And people know what you mean when you say that. Or you can say, gosh, when I get into a difficult conversation, I tend to go silent or I tend to approach it with violence, which are not phrases that make sense outside the context of crucial conversations. But once you understand them, you have a shorthand. And that means you can move more quickly, you can support and coach one another, and you can get support for trying your new skills. So generally speaking, my pitch is that any organization that's going to do anything like this type of training should do it broadly. Now, I also worked for another organization where we didn't do it. It wasn't mandatory and we didn't distribute it out there as a required training, but a lot of people voluntarily took it over the years and we saw that same thing happen. The more people you get to understand how to have these difficult conversations, generally speaking, the easier they go because you all know how to do it. Oh, that makes so much sense. And I just want to emphatically underscore samepage.com. When you develop the ability to write well, to (laughs) communicate well, to say what you actually think, to identify the emotions that you're having during a conversation and stay focused, anything you do to help get better at having hard conversations will make you better, not just in your job, but across everything you do literally every aspect of your life. And what I tell people is, first of all, I have never had the privilege of teaching on a topic that has an impact to your professional and personal life as much as this course content. And I am passionate about crucial conversations content, but regardless of whatever content you're using, whatever you might be taking fierce conversations, or my husband just went through a program, can't remember what it's called, but Second City folks put it on and it addresses how to have difficult conversations. It elevates every single aspect of your life. I've been thinking a lot in preparation for this conversation today about what it's meant for my parenting journey Mm, and my mm -hmm. co-parenting journey with my husband and my relationship with my parents as it relates to having difficult conversations about how I'm approaching parenting. And with my friends and with other moms, the list goes on in terms of how it has impacted me personally to get good at this. Yes. And, I, and, and it's the single thing that I think I want to help people accomplish is get good at this. It makes so much sense because everyone listening, I'm sure you can imagine, right? In a workplace for Sharon, it happened to be this childcare center, but you're in any kind of workplace and you have these feelings where you're like, oh, why are they not understanding what I'm saying? Or like, why is the message not being received? Why do I keep being combative with this other person? Or why is this person so difficult? If you're having those experiences, those are all key indicators that the conversations aren't working. The type of dialogue that you're having, the type of communication is not working. And the good news is that 
it's something we can all work on. And there's lots of different programs out there. And I invited Sharon because she has extensive training and has taught me so much about this. So Sharon, before we get into some of the meat of what you teach, can you talk about what's your background and how did you get into this? After the childcare center and learning and training, how did you deepen your knowledge and what were your next steps? Yeah, that's a really good question because you know, if I look back on the journey, this was put into my life at such a brilliant time. Early in my career, while still working for that childcare company, I had a leader who pulled me aside and gave me some really tough feedback. She did it expertly. And one of the reasons it worked so well is we had a trusting relationship and I knew and believed she was looking out for my best interests, which by the way, is a critical factor in having a difficult conversation. I'll circle back to that. But when she says to me, you are being perceived in this extremely negative way and it is going to hold you back. And she gave me details. It was a gut punch. And I spent a few years after that really working to elevate the way I was perceived. And a lot of that had to do with the way I communicated. Almost Mm. all of it, really. And I worked on it on my own. I read books. I tried new things. And I did make progress by being extremely conscious of the way I was perceived. But it was when we were handed this opportunity to become experts in crucial conversations by becoming certified trainers that I started to put the pieces together. The truth is, though, I taught that course for a few years before I really started showing up and trying to apply it in my day-to-day life. When I moved from one organization where I learned the content to another organization where I started delivering it to a different group of folks, it was mostly fintech folks. I was really struggling for more examples of how I had used the content in my day-to-day life. And I realized I wasn't always stepping up to doing it well. So really what happened is as I started teaching this course again to a new audience in a different organization, I started really challenging myself to internalize it, practice it, apply it on a day-to-day basis. And the thing that worked the best for me and the thing that I encourage everybody that I ever teach or coach on this type of topic is it wasn't so much in the moment learning to apply it that taught me a lot. It was reflecting when I had done things well or more often when I had made a mistake. And interestingly, at the same time, I was starting to date the person I eventually became married to and had a child with. And that was ripe for tons of fascinating reflection. I would say almost every day of the week, I'd be taking the shuttle to work and thinking, huh, that conversation could have gone better. I wonder what I could have done differently. And that reflection just truly accelerated my understanding. You know, my background Mm -hmm. is in learning and development. I've been teaching, educating for years from the preschool classroom all the way up to teaching adults. And it was really one of those really hit home moments for me to say, I can teach on anything, but can I apply it and do it and bring my absolute best to helping people be successful? And I think that's when people started approaching me in my personal life to coach them on it because they could see I was working on this so carefully and so diligently and really taking that time. 
That's amazing. I love hearing all of these nuances of the story because I think it's so important and relevant for people. Sometimes it takes two or three years just to learn the thing. And then we can even become masters of it and teachers of it, but still it takes even longer sometimes to apply it or at least to continue to further apply it across all of the different areas of our life. We may master it in one area. And then with our children, we're like, well, you're a new thing that I have to figure this out with. <laughs> like three-year-old. Oh what a great example. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sarah, we came out of our certification training and we all went through it. Me and my co-facilitators, my colleagues, my coworkers, who I worked with on all sorts of other projects. So we came out of our certification. Three days later, we're at a different hotel doing a different training on a totally different topic. And me and my coworker, who I was very close to, I still adore her to this day, we got in this massive argument. And the funny part was, we just did not apply a single one of the communication <laughs> skills we had just learned the week no. before. And yeah. I tell that story in every session I teach, because I'm like, you will do it wrong. You will <laughs> learn it, and you will do it yes. wrong over and over. And yet, it's a new day. And how about that applied to parenting, right? I mean, oh, come on. Yes. <laughs> just get okay doing it wrong and strive to do better tomorrow. It takes so long. And I think the most uncomfortable part for people who have ever seen that conscious competence, conscious incompetence chart, at first you're in happy oblivion because you don't know that you're doing something terribly wrong. You're just there. And then you start to become aware of it and you're like, okay, fine. Now I know that I'm just having a bunch of crappy conversations, but I don't know what to do about it. And then there's conscious competence where you're like, okay, now I'm very awkwardly trying to ride this bike and I'm still not doing it very well. It just takes so long sometimes to integrate the learning into our reality. 100%. I couldn't agree more. You do learning and development now today. Can you tell us a little bit for people who haven't met you before what you're up to today? What are you doing and what kind of work are you doing? Absolutely. So I joined a relatively small, I would say it's probably called a mid-sized software company based out of San Francisco, let's see, six months ago, as their head of global learning and development. And my responsibilities there are to identify what the learning needs for the organization are and design and deliver or bring in the training content that's needed to elevate our professionals and their ability to get their job done, manage better, lead more effectively. My specialty is manager and leadership development. It's my deep passion. And that extends to even the most mundane things, even though they're actually some of the most crucial. How do you have a great performance conversation? How do you think about compensation planning effectively? How do you have a compensation conversation? And how do you set goals for the coming fiscal year? That's the foundation that we've laid so far in the organization I'm working with now. And our next step will be to begin to elevate our most senior leaders in terms of their leadership capacity, both with the people that work for and with them, and also across their leadership level so that they can function as a high performing team. And in addition, my true passion is always going to be managers, frontline and middle managers. It's one of the hardest jobs to do, genuinely one of the most thankless jobs to do, and yet truly the most critical role that you play in your career because you really make or break the effectiveness of the folks above and below you by how you manage. So that was what drew me to this organization is that there was this opportunity to implement this manager development and there was a lot of passion and interest and support from the leadership. 
to be honest, in my long career in this work, I found that unless you have all three of those things combined, it can be very difficult to make an impact, especially as a single learning and development leader in a company. But here I see that potential and that's what drew me to the company I'm working with now. First of all, your job sounds so cool. And second of all, I want to replicate you and have you at every single company because your role is so important. (laughs) You're right. It sounds so cool. Okay. So now I want to dig in with you and talk specifically about contexts and tools. Like what are some tools that people can use? So I know that people, they're like, okay, fine. We're not having a great conversation, but what do I do, Sharon? What do I do? What are some tips that you have for teaching people how to navigate difficult conversations? And what are some of the most important things to do to prepare for having difficult conversations? Yeah, that's a great question. It's because it's the most important question to start with. When people come to me and they're saying, oh, I have to have this tough conversation with this person and I don't know how to begin. The first thing I do is I sit down and I say, all right, what do you want to accomplish in this conversation? What's your goal or objective? Because often without thinking about it, Our secret goal, if we were to admit it out loud, is to win the conversation, to prove we are right and they are wrong. And if we are going into it that way, it is going to backfire. It will not work. Even if it has a short-term positive feeling associated with it, and we, yeah, I won that one. Long-term, it's not going to get us where we want to go. And it's not going to get us the outcome we're looking for. Oh, right. Truly the outcome we want is to understand and to be understood. And through that, we can build a stronger relationship and aim for what they often refer to as that win-win outcome. Mm. If you can shift your approach, shift your thinking to how can I go into this conversation to understand and to build a stronger relationship? I mean, it can floor you that just that moment where you say, oh, okay, I was thinking about this completely differently, then you are on the right path. And the reason you're on the right path is you are starting to become open to possibility. And that's usually my second kind of piece of advice for people is you need to get clear on what the objective facts are in the situation versus what's the story that you've created in your own mind based on the facts. We're all expert storytellers. We have to be. We're humans. And then one of the most key elements of our brain is that it gets input and it tells a story. It makes a decision about what that input means. When you have an experience, like one day I went overseas to teach a training course, I opened up the training box of materials and they were completely different than what I had had the last time I taught the course. They'd been completely rewritten. And I had a coworker who had said, hey, don't worry, I'm shipping your materials this time. I had to make a couple of minor changes. But I opened the box. Everything is different. Page numbers, content, everything. The story I'm telling myself is she's upset with me for some reason. She completely changed the content and she embarrassed me on purpose in front of this group. Now, that's probably not the truth. Or even if it is kind of what happened, there's more to the story. But it's important to take a minute and say, what could be an alternate story that I could tell based on these facts? Maybe she sent me a detailed email outlining all of the changes she made to this content and I missed it or got stuck in her outbox, right? Maybe we talked about this and I've completely forgotten about it. What are those possibilities? And I know this can sound a little bit like putting on rose-colored glasses, but it's not. 
It's pausing for a moment and saying, you could be wrong, or there could be something you're not seeing, or even if you're right, there could be a way through this to a positive outcome or to a stronger relationship. And when you are ready to embrace that possibility, however tiny, it lets in this little sliver of light that gets you prepared to actually have a conversation. Mm. Now, oh, that's interesting. I need to say something here because what happens when we get to this point is people say, oh, I don't know if I want to have a conversation. <laughs> Not because they're afraid of it, but because actually what they want to have is a lecture. And I'll give you an example here. I had a woman in one of my classes who said, I don't know if this crucial conversation stuff is for me. And I was like, what do you mean? She said, well, I went into my daughter's room. She's 16 years old. I opened up one of her drawers to put away some socks and I found marijuana. And I want to go to her and I want to tell her it's not okay. It's not okay in my house. You can't be doing drugs in my house. Cut it out. Get rid of it. And I said, all right, you're right. That is not a conversation. You are not looking for a dialogue here. And that's okay. I think it's important to contrast a lecture, a very appropriate lecture, or you could use a different word for it. Not everybody likes the word lecture, but a direct statement you want to get across to another human being. And they could be someone who works for you or works with you. It could be your child. It could be your partner that says, this is unacceptable and it can't continue. That's an important thing that people have to do, but it's not a difficult conversation. And I separate the two with this thinking. What do you want to accomplish from the conversation? This would be a crucial conversation or a difficult conversation if what this woman wanted to say to her daughter was, what's going on here? Help me understand. Why is this here? Where did this come from? Is this something you're doing now? Can we talk about it? This is what separates a conversation from some other discussion that you're going to have. And so I think that's really fundamental because I've never tell somebody you can't go have a direct message that you want to send, but then if that's what you're going to do, then these tools may not necessarily all apply. And I think that's fair. Oh, this is so interesting. I'm scribbling down notes because <laughs> <laughs> I do, you know me. So, because <laughs> I do, but I want to just recap because this is how I think through and learn yeah. things. So first, picking a goal, understanding yeah. what your goal is. What is the goal here with my conversation? What do I want to achieve? And what I thought you said that was so brilliant. And I think this is in the Crucial Conversations book, but it's been a minute since I've read it. But it's, if your goal is to win, maybe you're actually not looking to have a conversation. Mind blown, right? Like so many of us go into conversations with our fists out and like, I'm going to win or I'm going to tell you, especially in this day and age with all the ways that we can talk online. It just feels like everyone's trying to have famous last words, but no one's having (laughs) conversations. Exactly. Okay. But like if we put it into a different context, parenting is a really vulnerable journey. And I've learned this more in the last four months, I would say, than anywhere at any point in my journey. My son is three now. And right around his third birthday, we were getting him assessed through the early intervention program in the state of Colorado. Initially, we thought just for checking in on his speech language delay, which we've been dealing with for a while. But then it kind of turned the tables on us when they said, we'd like to assess him for the educational disability of autism. And that could have been a pretty low moment for me. I'll be honest, I wasn't that shocked when it came up. But all throughout this journey, there had been extremely difficult moments where 
I was in very defensive mama mode. They would do an evaluation or assessment of him and they just met him. So how could they really understand him? And he's more than just the hour you're spending with him. And can you really tell me anything about my kid that I don't know? All of these stories were coming up for me. And it wasn't until I prepared to come into the conversation with them saying, we want the same thing. And what I want is a positive relationship with the school district because I chose this one on purpose and I'm going to be here a while. And I want a collaborative relationship. We are all working together for the good of my son. And that shifted me immediately from this defensive posture to this, okay, my goal is a positive outcome for me and my son and the district. Can we accomplish that? Mm, So what happened? Oh, I mean, honestly, we, we went into the conversation, the entire team sat around a table with us. We had speech language, we had occupational therapy, we had special education, and then we had someone from the district who helps coordinate everything. And they listened to us. We talked to them for three hours. They went through their entire assessment. They went through their IEP for him and answered every question we had. And I was so thrilled to see how they talked about him as a holistic kid and not just a child who they had identified has the educational disability of autism. And they just, overall, it was such a positive, uplifting conversation. Despite my work to really let a little bit of light in and say it's possible, it blew the door wide open. More possibilities existed that this could be a great working relationship than ever before. And we got him into a special education preschool. I'm confident he's going to thrive. I'm confident the district has his best interest at heart. And that sets the tone for the way we go forward, which is exciting for me because we're really at just at the beginning of this journey. This is so interesting to hear because you can see right away how it applies. And what you said in number two, the stories you tell, I don't know. Have you ever read Splitting the Difference by Chris Voss? Have you heard of it? No, I don't know if I have. I can't think of it. So he's like an FBI negotiator, and I stumbled across it way back when. But in it, he talks about how there are four people in any conversation. There's you and them, and then there's the story in your mind and the story in their mind, essentially. Yeah. And it's so interesting how this example that you've shared just brings so clearly to light. It so matters what story we're telling ourselves about what we think is happening. And I think it's actually sometimes really hard to identify because we can bring them so close or we just believe them to be true. Do you have any tips for how do you stop and pause and ask yourself, what story am I telling myself or what am I making up about this or what might I be thinking that might not be true? How did you get better at that? Or do you teach people how to identify these stories? Yes to all of it. First of all, practice over and over and over practice. So again, reflecting on conversations that go badly, what story was I telling? Yes. And reflecting on times when it went well, okay, where did I come up with the possibility that something could be different than my perspective of it? Second, partnership. As I mentioned, when we first started talking, the beauty of an organization choosing to launch a course like Crucial Conversations or another one that teaches something they want everyone to know is when they give it to everyone at the same time, you develop a shorthand, you develop a way of speaking. If you aren't having the opportunity to go and get this type of intense two-day training right now, either because it's 
difficult to get away or it's expensive, it's fine. There are tons of people who you know in your real life who have read this book too, whatever this book is. For me, it's Crucial Conversations, who will be your partner, who will be your buddy. And having a buddy who will say to you, Sarah, is that a story you're telling or is that a fact? Sarah, is that story serving you and making it easier for you to have this conversation? Sarah, do you just want to stay in that story today? It's okay. You can stay in the story today. What if you try tomorrow? When I had that experience where I was caught off guard by the massive changes in the training content I was delivering, it took me three weeks to get to a point where I could come up with a better story. I could come up with a possibility that my story wasn't the only one. And the thing I have to emphasize here is you can still be right. The story you're telling could be 100% true. And yet, if you can't open up your mind to entertain a possibility that there's something you don't know about it, like you actually contributed to this problem in a way you don't see, for example, you won't be able to have the conversation. And that's where I really settled in that particular example was there is a possibility that there's something I don't here. And that phrase often for me can be enough of saying, I'm going to get curious and I'm going to find out in the content itself, whether you pick up the Crucial Conversations book, Fierce Conversations book, or another one that I'm not even familiar with, there are a host of strategies and step-by-step instructions on how you start with facts, on how you share the story, and how you talk about the impact that this has had on you. And then you invite the other person to share with you their reaction and their perspective. And there are lots of pieces of advice on how to be a good listener during that process, to stay open, and to really invite dialogue, really create a way where their perspective is just as valid as yours. And it takes me two days to 16 hours to teach that content. So I can't get into it today. But I would say the greatest ways to get yourself primed to go into this conversation well are to find a phrase. Again, for me, it's that, is there a way that I'm contributing to this or something I don't know that would change the way I see this? And get a buddy, somebody who can check you. My husband is that for me. And I find that really valuable. Mm, I love that. You know, at night, sometimes I will go to my husband with a problem and I'm like, okay, I just need someone else to help me think about this. Like, how am I thinking about this? And are there other ways I can be thinking about this? Which sounds like a similar way of saying what you're saying. Because sometimes I just get so stuck. It's like, well, this is happening and this is happening. And I know there's something else, but I can't figure it out. Help. Um, (laughs) The other thing I think you would love is that when my husband and I are sometimes fighting, but we're really tired, like really tired, and we're trying to have a conversation, but clearly it's going way downhill because I've said something like, no, it's your turn to do the dishes. But instead of dishes, I said shoes. And then he's like, but you need to get on the pull-up bar. But that's not what he meant. He meant something else because we just can't even come up with... We have this shorthand where when we're completely miserable, we say words aren't working. And it's usually true. It's usually because we can no longer move our mouths in the way and the connection between our brains and our bodies just isn't working. And so I sometimes just put the dishes down. I look at him and I'm like crying. I'm like, words aren't working. And it's our shorthand that we're done. We're just Mm -hmm. done. We're going to try again. It's nobody's fault. And we are not pressured to have to finish the conversation right now. We're like, oh, words aren't working. Everyone needs a break. 
Instead of, for some reason, if someone tells me, let's take a break, I'll be like, fuck you, I got to win. You know, (laughs) I I won't have the right response. I'll be like, screw that. But when we say words aren't working, then we just take a beat and then we come back to it. And usually we come back to it later and we're like, oh, I was just annoyed that the dishes were done, but I'm mostly just annoyed because I'm tired. Oh, okay. We're good. We're good. Okay, great. Yeah, I think we could take a lesson out of that playbook because sleep deprivation is real and we only have one and sleep deprivation (laughs) is real. Stress from work is real. I often liken this to if you make noodles or any pasta or rice pasta of any kind and you put it into the strainer and then, I don't know, you get distracted and you leave it in there. It becomes this clump and no longer are there individual strands of spaghetti in your strainer, there is a clump. And if you were to pull on one, it would break before you could pull it out. (laughs) And that's always the visual. I tell the story and people are like, why don't you just eat the spaghetti share? But (laughs) it's like this, this, this visual for me that's so perfect. Whenever I'm feeling stuck, it's like, okay, I have got to pull the strands of spaghetti apart. What's really happening here? And sometimes the answers aren't even clear. There's not a clear answer. And it just means, to your point, words aren't working. Let's take a beat. If we have to come back to this, we will. And that really relates to what my third piece of advice for people is when you're thinking about how to go into a difficult conversation is to remember that you can always ask to stop and start over. So again, you're going to do it wrong. You're going to have even the best of intentions (laughs) and it's not going to go well sometimes. And you can say, this isn't working. I did not mean to come across this way. Can we start over? Hmm. And it's amazing how you can disarm someone so easily with that simple, earnestly stated phrase of, I really would appreciate the opportunity to start again. If you mean it, people will join you there. People will meet you there. And the phrase that I wrote down as I was thinking about it is once it's going off the rails, you don't have to follow it. I think that's (laughs) advice for me. And that was just kind of coming out as part of my own journaling because I am first to follow a conversation that's going off the rails, but we don't have to. So ultimately that reminder that this isn't working, I'm not giving up but can we try again? And that could be try again right now. That could be try again later, tomorrow, after we've had some rest. I've certainly been in those conversations. That can be a really powerful thing to remember as you're going into this conversation is you usually get the permission to start again if you need it. Oh, that's such a good reminder. And it reminds me of the little ones too. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I have a three and a half year old and you can be like, do you want to try that again? Like, do you want to start again? Did you really mean to hit me? Are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's sometimes so hard. And I actually empathize with the little ones because sometimes things come out of our mouths or we do things with our bodies and we're like, what are we doing? Being a human is so weird. Can we stop? (laughs) Can we start again? Can we try this again? Oh, I love that advice. Sharon, this is so much. People can learn so much from all of what you're saying. Did I forget to ask you anything that you want to make sure to leave people with or you think we covered enough? You know, I think this is a really good amount to get started. And my advice for anybody who's looking to get better at speaking persuasively and not abrasively is to find those tools and methods that work for you. Again, my linear thinking brain that loves logic and loves examples of how to use certain phrases in conversations has always really been drawn to the crucial conversations formula. It's not the only one out there. 
find what works for you. Find a buddy who can help you through it. And don't give up. Just keep working. Keep investing. You're not not a good communicator because you've had a bad conversation. But you're a great communicator if you care about it and you care about it so much that you keep working at it over and over and over. Uh, so oh, I, just, I, I would love give people that. a lot of support that way. Yeah. No, I think I it's love. important to remember. Keep going, keep learning. And it doesn't mean that from here on out, everything's going to be roses and butterflies. Like there will be hard <laughs> conversations and we're going to keep having them. You know, that reminds me when I was working at one of the previous startups I was working at, our boss actually read Crucial Conversations and he got the book, whatever it is, 1999 or 1299. He got the book, yeah. he took notes on it, and then he prepared a slideshow for all of us. And one Friday mm. afternoon, he's like, I want to teach you what I've learned because I think this is so cool. And so he actually shared and taught us unofficially what he'd learned from the book. And I don't know how much of it we all ended up keeping mm -hmm. right away because it was our first introduction, but I have kept the idea of the book and I've kept my copy of the book since then. And sometimes you just dive in and look and say like, okay, what book might be good for me? and what might I learn? Um, or you go full throttle and you take a five-day seminar and you take every single seminar right. and you read all the books, what you do you, right? Like do whatever is right. useful for you. Wow. I love it. I, I love mean, your way, devotion to learning. Learn, <laughs> I love that. And I'm saying at the same time you're saying that, I'm saying the way we learn is by immediately applying what we've brought on board. The hard part about going to a two-day workshop and getting good at something is you've just learned a whole heck of a lot. Can you legitimately apply all of that in the next 21 days or whatever it takes to really apply it? Probably not. So you'll need to revisit and revisit and revisit. The way you're approaching it, I love the way your boss approached it because people just give people books like they're going to somehow get the same stuff out of it. He took it a step further and said, this is what I want you to get out of it. This is how I want us to talk to one another. Let's keep the conversation going. I think that approach is great. And the way you're dipping in and taking a little bit and applying it, that is probably how we get good at almost anything. Uh, I think that's a great approach. Sharon, where can people find out more about you and your work on the web or talk to you on Twitter, or Instagram? Where do you hang out? So I blog at SharonStolt.com. I'm making a commitment to do that a little bit more frequently this year. I spend some time on Twitter and some time on Instagram, both Sharon Stolt. Mm. And for people taking the Wise Women's Council, Sharon's in it again. So we all get to hang out together. I just had to give a little shout out because I think the people in the Wise Women's Council, like you, are so amazing. So I'm just going to leave that right there, too. It's so true. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm so excited for year two. This is fantastic. Hey, everyone, just a heads up and a reminder, if you want to listen to our long form Ask Me Anything sessions, they are 30, 45, and sometimes 60 minutes in length, and they we go deep into questions that people have. If you want me to look at your business, you want me to comment on your marketing plan, or you have a question about parenting, pregnancy, or anything in between, we are taking listener questions, and I answer them in a monthly Ask Me Anything fireside chat. It's available only to our Patreon supporters. So if you back us at the $7 a month level, you get access to this private podcast. You can get access to all of the past episodes, which is pretty cool. So if you're missing the podcast while we're on our hiatus and you want to take a listen in to these Ask Me Anything episodes, go over to Patreon and become a monthly backer at the $7 per month level and you'll get access to all of the future episodes as well as all of the past episodes 
keep in mind that you are also supporting the work of Startup Pregnant and our growth in these early days, and that matters a ton. Every dollar helps and counts, and we appreciate so much and are grateful for your support. Patreon.com slash Startup Pregnant will take you right there. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Did I spell that right? Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Yes. Patreon.com slash Startup Pregnant will take you there. The link will be right here in the show notes. You can go straight there. $7 a month and you get access to this entirely exclusive Patreon-only podcast. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. And you know, I always say this and I mean it. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like our show. It takes a few seconds and it really does help us a lot. If you want more of what we're talking about, go over to startuppregnant.com and get on our email list. We send out a weekly newsletter with time-saving tips for parents and entrepreneurs. And I always include a weekly gadget or tool or something awesome that we've stumbled upon to help make your life just a little bit easier. And as always, you can reach out to us at hello at startuppregnant.com. We love hearing from you.